Don and I would certainly be amiss if we did not express our thanks to this congregation, to the elders, to Mark, and to others who had anything and everything to do with this invitation for us to come and be with you. And we pray that it's been in one way or the other helpful, practical, something that you'll be able to use and apply to your situation of life, not only in the congregation, but also in this community. And it's uh, a joy to be back with you again this evening for our, for our time together. In your notebook, you will find somewhere toward the end three great suggestions in dealing with grief. Doug Manning is a uh, lay minister of a church has written several books dealing with the idea of grief. One of his classic books is a book entitled Don't Take My Grief or Don't Take My Grief Away From Me. I wish I had the time to, to go into the detail as to how he came about that topical study and the title for that book. But but it makes a good point. And that is that so often people do exactly that. They may not mean to, but one way or the other, by what they say or how they act, they may try to take your grief away from you. He gives three suggestions that that I think are so very simple, but yet also very helpful. In your process of grief, and we have tried to define grief Monday evening, we try to show using the whiteboard, you know, grief is caused by many other things other than the loss of a child. And as Mark mentioned, and as these young people would certainly agree with the fact, the trauma for those who may have not been physically injured is still tremendous because any kind of sound, anything that sounded like those bullets, any kind of screams of terror as individuals ran for their life over a mile away, according to the newspaper this morning, just to get away from the horror of that event. It's going to be devastating. And it will take much time and much intervention for them to be able to get back to some kind of normalcy in time to come. But what Doug Manning says is, all we want to do when we're dealing with some trauma of grief for a period of time, in fact, that time is undetermined time, we don't have a time limit on it, is all you want to do is get by. Get by. Now, what does getting by mean? If we were in a discussion class, we would likely say, well, getting by means you're just existing. You're just trying to keep your head above water. And that's true in regard to grief. Particularly in regard to the, to the first weeks and the first months and the first changes of all the things that that grief loss mean, means to us, whatever that loss is. We may just, just all we're trying to do is get by. Getting by just means getting out of the bed when you don't feel like getting out of the bed. Getting by means going to church and being with your church family when you may not feel like going to be with your church family. Getting by may mean going to work 
Because you got to pay for bill. you got to pay for your utilities. you got to provide for your family when you don't feel like going that way. Getting together with family members when you really don't feel like going to be with family. So, so getting by is just a state of mind as well as a state of life for a period of time. Somewhere down the line, you want to try to get better. Now, getting better does not mean that you're just 100% positive all the time. We, we talked last evening, someone suggested the fact that, you know, when, when we go up, so your name is? Ben. ben. If I came up to Ben and I knew that Ben was dealing, you know, I'm, I'm a good church member here and I know that Ben's dealt with some kind of grief loss. I don't know what the grief loss might be, but I come up to Ben and I said, Ben, how are you doing today? Ben's going to probably say, fine. Fine. And I like the way you said that. Fine. When possibly Ben's not fine. But the reason Ben said that is because why? We expect him to say that, don't we? Because mentally in our mind or somewhere in our vocabulary of grief and compassion for those in grief, we have this sort of check-off mentality. Okay, I've checked on Ben today, and Ben says he's fine, so that means what? Ben doesn't need me. Ben's okay. Now, regardless of whether he is okay or not, Ben likely still needs a church family. Ben likely needs still someone to check on him. We had a lady tell us one time, uh, to, uh, came up to, at free, we were at Fried Hardeman, and a lady, we were selling our books at the booth there in, in, the, lecture, in the lectureship hall. The lady came up to me and she said, we had, we had someone in our church that came up to me after my loss, and they asked me how I was doing, and I said, I'm fine. And they held my hand, and they wouldn't let go, because they knew I was not fine. And she said, I did everything I could to break that hole, and I left running out of the church building with tears coming down my face. And I got out of the car and I just cried uncontrollably because I knew I wasn't fine. And I also knew that he really cared. She said, I regained my composure and went back in and found him and said, you really want to know how I'm doing? He said, yes, I do. She said, let's sit down and talk. And they were there for about 45 minutes. So, so when someone says, I'm okay, they may be okay. They really may. We, they may be okay. But they also may just be saying it for our benefit. Because they may not be able to trust us with their emotions. Get by. Get better. What do you do to get better? Well, have a grief seminar like you've had. Spend time with people that really care and that will listen when you want them to listen and will talk when you want them to talk. 
Read God's Word. Pray. Talk and confide with others. If there's a need to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist or a Christian counselor or someone that just cares and that you can trust them with your emotions, that's one of those things of getting better. Get better doesn't mean that you're going to be better when you, when you cross over into getting better, that you're going to be better every single day for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that. Because as we've said, Christ, uh, uh, grief is sort of emotions. It's like the wildest roller coaster at Six Flags, whatever that one is, that I don't ride anymore. But, but you know, that's, that's what grief's like. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I did ride Space Mountain a few months ago. Still love that one at Disney World. But the point of the matter is, you know, you don't ever know how grief's going to hit you. So getting better does not mean I'm going to be better for the rest of my life. It just means that right now, it's okay. I'm in a good place. Eventually, we want to get beyond that grief experience. And we're going to talk about that just in a moment. So just hang on to what we're saying there. Please notice I did not say get over it. Folks, we don't get over grief. We grow through grief and we grow in grief, but we don't ever want to get, you know, it's, it's like, the, you know, the situation I think I described in downtown class, uh, the, the downstairs class, uh, I guess it was Sunday evening. You know, it, it's, it's easy for us to, to, to put this time frame on grief and say, well, you ought to be over this by now. No, it doesn't work that way. The folks in that Kentucky shooting will always remember for as long as they live what it was like to be in that, that environment. And that's okay. Now the reason Don and I like Doug Manning's suggestions is number one, they're very simple. But even more importantly, you can share them with people that you trust and that you love and that you can confide with. If, if Ben doesn't mind me using him as an example again, whatever grief issue that Ben may be going through, if, if Connor asks him, Ben, tell me, how are you doing today? And he says, getting by. What should Connor instantly pick up on? That Ben's having a rough day. That it's been one of those whirlwind twister rides that you can't see the end of. And Connor needs to, in his mind, sort of red flag that and say, okay, can we talk? Or can I, even more importantly, can I listen while you talk? And even if he doesn't want to talk, you see, getting by sends a signal. And, and as we've done in our grief support classes before, we've told people, just use that vocabulary with your friends. And let them know, when I say this is one of those getting by days, I need you. <coughs> now, I need you for me, not for you. I, I need you to, to do whatever it is that I need. But that's one of those days, uh, getting better. Well, that's great. What's the next question that I should ask? What can I do to help you get better? 
instead of me asking, or Connor asking, what are you doing to get better? may not be any of his business. But when I ask the question, or he asks the question, well, what can I do to help you as you're getting better? There's a friend that you can count on. Getting beyond. Getting beyond does not mean that we forget the loved one. Getting beyond does not mean we forget the grief loss, whatever that grief loss is. It just means that I've decided and I've been able to work through my grief journey to the point that I don't have to dwell on it every single day, 24-7. Now, is it the next page over, and I forgot to, that, that we deal with some of the... Um, some of the changes, the four major tasks, is that next? Okay, okay. Notice the connector here. We've just talked about phraseology, phrases to use in people dealing with grief as to how they are. And, and I'm serious. It really is that simple. If we will use that terminology, getting by, getting better, getting beyond, our folks should be, our friends should be able to understand that. And, and if they really want to help, They'll help. They'll know when you need them on your side. There are four tasks at least in dealing with grief. This comes from a book from a very famous psychologist, J. William Warden. And he says the first thing that we have to do is we have to accept the reality of the loss. Now, now, these are really, really simple when you first read them. But they're very, very complicated when it comes to implementing them in your life or in the grief experience. For example, it's easy sometimes for people to deny the facts of the loss. What happened? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Yeah, I, I understand what they've told me about the loss, but it just does not make sense. Secondly, it's possible to deny the meaning of the loss. What's this mean? What's it mean to me now? And what's it going to mean to, what's it going to, mean to me later on? We've mentioned that Don and I He's a fire chaplain in his county. I'm a state trooper chaplain in, in Madison County. And when I get called out at night to go with a trooper to a door and knock on that door and give them the worst news that they can ever imagine in their lifetime at that point in time, I know facts because that's one thing we have to be extremely careful about. We've got to know everything that we can possibly know before we announce that to the family. But I guarantee you, the meaning of that loss, there is no way they can comprehend it at that point in time. Because understanding the meaning of the loss means you have to live through it. You have to deal with that situation. 
And, and you have to, as it were, try it on for size and, and realize that it, doesn't, it just doesn't fit. And it certainly is not fair and it's certainly not good. There's also the great possibility of denying the irreversibility of the loss. You somehow, some way, someone will, will want to say, let me see what I can do to undo all of this lost situation. Um, in, in his book, he was talking about a lady that was dealing with the reality of a fire that destroyed and killed loved ones and their family. And for a long period of time, the lady kept saying, I just don't want you to be dead. I just don't want you to be dead. And, and they had to deal with that because, you see, she was trying to reinvent, to recreate that environment so that she could, in her mind, imagine that they weren't dead. You see, accepting the reality of the loss means that it's going to take a lot of time. <clears throat> That's why we've talked, as we've done since Sunday morning, that as long as a person is grieving normally, that there is no time frame by which they have to get finished with their grief. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and by accepting the reality of the loss means you only there has to only not only be an intel, intelligent or an intellectual acceptance, but there also has to be a emotional acceptance. Now, one thing you know, one of those is a little bit easier than the other. Intellectually, if I can use the phraseology, if I'm talking to someone about their relative. In fact, I usually do. Do you understand what I've just said? And I will repeat it yet again. Now, intellectually, they may turn right around and say, yes, you have just told me about my loved one's death. Emotionally? What's going to happen? Shock. Denial. Um, bewilderment. Just, just a, a just total freezing. Uh, someone said that they felt frozen in grief. Well, that's a good phraseology for that for that feeling. And, and so. Accepting this reality of the loss is tremendously complicated and is tremendously difficult. Look at number two. They have to learn to experience the pain of grief. And we talked about, I guess it was Sunday, that the reason there's pain in grief is because we love. Grief is the price we pay for love. And while that's and that and that's certainly true, but how painful is it to deal with that reality? 
How painful is it to experience that pain? Some of you have had probably parts of your body replacement surgery. Don and I both had knee replacement surgeries at different time or different knees. Mm. And, 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 and you could tell your war story and it would be just as painful for me to understand it. But you know, it's a good thing that I did, you know, someone said it's a good thing you don't know how painful it is before you have it. Yeah, I, I agree with that one, which meant that I was sort of stupid the second time because I did know how painful it was going to be. And yeah, I still have it. But that's not even an nth degree to the idea and reality of grief over the loss of someone we love or something significant and important to us. It hurts. It hurts deeply. You know, we talked Sunday morning about Mary wailing, crying like a baby because her brother Lazarus was dead. Four days after he'd already been buried, she's still weeping uncontrollably. Why? It hurt. And and that's why parents and grandparents of these precious young people over here, that's why you love them so much, and that's why you want them to, to know how important it is to be careful and to be safe and to look out for everything that you're go- they're going through because it hurts. And, it's, and there's no way someone can tell you how much it's going to hurt in that regard. People like to run and hide from it. People have tried that before. I don't know if this is a proper illustration or comparison, but you know, when God told Jonah, Jonah, go talk to the people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh, so what did he do? He went the opposite way. God wouldn't let him do that. And people can try to just sort of run and pretend. We had a lady tell us one time she was a travel she and her husband were travel agents and they had planned a year long trip around the world. A few months before that trip took place, her husband died suddenly. Her family insisted she still use her ticket and take that trip by herself. I don't know why they didn't, someone didn't go with her, but they didn't. She said, I was gone for almost a year around the world, the, the, the greatest places you could ever imagine. And I came back and I opened the door to my house that was now empty. And she said, grief was sitting there waiting on me. She said there was no way to run from it. And said, I was kidding myself. She said, why did I did that? I don't know. Because my, she said, my family just insisted for me to go. But said, grief was sitting there waiting on me when I got there. There was no way to run from it. Number three, you have to adjust to the environment in which that individual or that loss, wherever it is, is no longer present. Uh, 
Do you imagine that it takes a lot of time for that to happen? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to pretend that someone's gone. It's one thing to pretend that a loss has occurred. It's one thing to say, well, what if my house was destroyed? How would I, how would I make it? What would I do? But we all know in the back of our mind when we're thinking or going down that direction that what? It's just pretend. That it's not real and it's going to be all right again. It's sort of like when you lose electricity. You know, remember the few months, a few years ago when we had the, all the storms and the tornadoes that came through this area and Phil Campbell and on up to Huntsville and we lost power. I'm not sure how, how long y'all lost power. We lost power for about five or six days. And, and, and no one, a lot of folks didn't know what to do because they could not use that thing that we have in our hand or that computer or what, that ta- whatever it was. We, there, was, there was no service. But we kept telling ourselves, our power is going to come back on. And it's going to be okay eventually. Not so in a grief loss. Because regardless of how much you want to pretend, it's going to be there. We find out in this part of grief what that individual or whatever that loss was, what it meant to us. We take so much for granted what people that we love do for us. And you can just say, well, I'll just imagine that they're not there and I'll just open my eyes and, and I'll just try to live my life so, so that they're not there. But we all, when we, do, when we act like we do that, we open our eyes, don't we? And there they are. And so it's all, it's all good again. It doesn't happen that way with grief. Because when they're MIA, missing an action, they're missing an action for good. And the roles that they played in our lives, we never even knew. We didn't have a clue. Ladies, let me give you a special warning here. Because you are the nurturers in your families, and this will be true of of young teenage girls as well as they grow up. Because you are the nurturers in your family, and because you're the ones who... Find identity in the relationships that you have. You're going to find this one to be extremely hard to deal with. Because not only have you lost the role of that individual that meant so much to you that's no longer there, but now you have, you've had to face with the reality of the self-identity of yours that no longer is true. Where you found comfort and where you found support and where you found esteem and encouragement and all those other wonderful things that come from being a mom or being a wife or a grandmother or a granddaughter or a a child to a parent. All that is totally... Reversed. And not only are you struggling with the lack of them in your life, but now you even begin to deal with the reality of the lack of you 
in your life and you're wondering, where's my identity anymore? What do I do with myself? I'm always used to caring for someone. They're no longer there. Number four, they have to withdraw, notice some of the emotion. Not all. Unless you lose your mind, which sometimes happens in our world, or you have some kind of surgery that takes out a part of your brain, you will always remember, with great love and respect, the person or the, that loss in your life. And that's okay. It's just that you have to reinvest and you have to realize, I have loved, I have lost, but I want to love again. There are other people in my life that I can love. Family members, maybe an, another mate if that's what you want to do. Whatever the situation is. But there will always be love for that person that's no longer there. In your notes, the sign of moving toward the future, you can understand what that's talking about. The same is true for the four primary indicators when grief is finished. If you want, to, if you want me to talk about that personally with you, I'll be glad to do so. But, but the, the point is, change happens, and we understand that as change happens, we likely, one way or the other, will have to change with it. And so just take your time. Have people that care for you give you that time to, to make these changes that are significant. But it's okay. It, it's okay to feel vulnerable. It's okay to feel, I don't know if I can do this. It's okay to feel nervous because when you get the family back together again, there's always the possibility somebody may not want to go along in the trip with you. The point of the matter is, God does. And that's what's helpful. Turn this over to Don now.